Thank you for tuning in to the World Overcomers podcast. On behalf of our senior pastor, Andy Thompson, we appreciate your continued support and generosity. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to receive updates when we post new content every week. If you would like more information or want to make a contribution to World Overcomers or Pastor Andy, visit www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast. Once again, that is www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast. Enjoy the message. Family, happy Wednesday. Come on, it's a good Wednesday night. And I'm back for week two of this sermon series on resilience. Come on, I want that word to get in your spirit. Come on, I want you to confess, I am resilient. Come on, I'm becoming resilient. God is uh, birthing resilience in me. He's depositing resilience in me. Come on, the storm's not going to take me out. The trial's not going to take me out. Come on, the temptation is not going to take me out. I'm resilient. I'm built strong. Uh, Last week, we really focused on uh, the integration of life, that life is not designed by God to be segregated, that life is not designed by God to be compartmentalized, but life is designed for integration. And you need integration in order to have, come on, say it with me, put it in the chat, integrity. Let's see how many people uh, remember. Come on, who was here last week? Let me know in the chat if you were here last week. Come on, type in the chat, type in the chat if you were here last week. And don't just type in the chat that you were here last week. Tell me if you're trying to get perfect attendance. Come on, perfect attendance. I want you here all four weeks. If you're from World Overcomers, welcome. Uh, you know me. My name is Pastor Manny Arango. If you're not from World Overcomers, hey, welcome to the Wednesday night uh, virtual experience uh, at World Overcomers Christian Church. Uh, the title of this sermon series is Resilient. Okay, resilient, and that's the that's a word that I feel like the Holy Spirit put in my heart uh, for us as we go through these four weeks. We're going to continue talking about integrity because you cannot be resilient without integrity. A lot of times we talk about being resilient as someone who stands strong underneath the pressure of a trial or a negative circumstance or a difficult season but you don't just want to be resilient against trials and negative circumstances and storms you want to be resilient against temptation what made Jesus resilient is not just that he was resilient in storms or resilient in opposition but he was resilient when the enemy tempted him say okay temptation so I want you to write this down or type this in your notes app or whatever you got to do. Integrity is a vital ingredient to building a resilient life. Integrity is a vital ingredient uh, for building a resilient life. I want you to be a resilient person uh, because resilient people are consistent. Resilient people are dependable. Resilient people have made up their mind about their mission and about their purpose. Resilient people are people uh, who who God can trust, who God can count on. So I want to continue talking about Joseph's integrity, okay? We're talking about this character in the Bible. His name is Joseph. And I want to continue talking about Joseph's integrity, okay? I want to bring you to Genesis 
chapter 39. Okay, Genesis chapter 39. I'm going to flip there in my Bible. This is the account of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Genesis chapter 29, uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 39 uh, says this. Now Joseph was well built. I'm, I'm reading in verse 7, or actually verse 6, the end of verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. Okay, Joseph. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. I call her the first cougar of the Bible. Okay, here we go. Uh, and said, come to bed with me. She's not trying to take a nap, all right? They are not trying to, she is not trying to cuddle and have a nap. She's, she is trying to do the segs, S-E-G-G-S. -S 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 uh, you got to be on TikTok to know what that even means. Okay, she's trying to do the segs, the sexy stuff uh, with, with Joseph. Okay, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, she wanted the business, okay? Day after day. What, what does the Bible say? He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to me, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed when he heard me scream for help. He left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the story that Hebrew slave that you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, he told his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Joseph, just when it looks like his life is maybe going to get better, his life actually takes a drastic turn. He's living with his father's house. He's got a great life. His brothers are jealous of him. They sell him into slavery. It seems like slavery is a death sentence. But, man, God is kind to Joseph, and he's not just sold into slavery to work for anybody but to work for a high-ranking Egyptian official. And he's got a good job. I mean, he's a slave, but he's got a pretty high-privileged position. And just when it looks like life is kind of gaining some form of consistency, when life is, is, is uh, when the dust is settling, man, there's upheaval again, and Joseph's life is totally derailed because he wanted to keep his integrity. Uh, Joseph could have continued to enjoy status, could have continued to enjoy the privilege of living with Potiphar's house and just had 
just had a side thing with Potiphar's wife, had a little sneaky link, you know what I'm saying? Just, just had something that nobody talked about, but he decided to keep his integrity. And I want to let you know tonight that integrity will cost you. Woo! Integrity will cost you. Integrity will cost you opportunities. Integrity will cost you relationships. Integrity will cost you some money. And integrity is going to cost you time. Integrity is not cheap. Integrity is expensive. And Joseph has to pay a high price for the integrity that he is determined to keep. Now, Joseph keeping his integrity may not seem all that impressive to you or I if you don't have context for why it's so imperative for Joseph to keep his integrity. Once you take a look at Joseph's father and Joseph's brothers and Joseph's grandfather and Joseph's great-grandfather, I think it'll become a little bit more clear why Joseph was so adamant to be honest, to not lie, to have character, and to be a man of high integrity. I, I want to start with Joseph's great-grandfather, a man that we know by the name of Abraham. Abraham, uh, you can read about Abraham in Genesis chapter 20. In Genesis chapter 20, uh, the Bible tells us, I don't want to paraphrase, I actually want to read it. Let's go to Genesis chapter 20. Uh, the Bible tells us uh, in verse 1, Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. So Abraham has lied now for the second time about his wife being his sister. Abraham, man of faith, whoo, but that integrity though, that integrity is slipping. Abraham lies and God then has to stop this. It says this, but God came to Abimelech in a dream and one night said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. A heathen got more integrity than Abraham. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife. For he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But, you, but if you do not return her, you will be sure uh, that you and all yours will die. Early next morning, Abimelech summoned his officials. And when he told them what happened, they were very much afraid. And then Abimelech called Abraham. What have you done? Why have you done this to me? How have I wronged you that you have brought such guilt upon me in my kingdoms? You have done things to me that should not be done. Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? And 
Abraham's reason is fear. He's scared. And so what does he do? He compromises on his integrity because he's scared. Now, here's what Abraham cannot foresee. I need you to get this. Abraham's wife is not even pregnant yet. Abraham has not even produced Isaac yet. Isaac does not witness this incident between Abraham and Abimelech in Gerar. He's not there to see it. He's not alive to witness it. Sarah ain't even pregnant. But if we skip to Genesis chapter 26, what will we see? In Genesis chapter 26, verse 1, Abraham's son is now in the exact same predicament that Abraham was in. It says, now there was a famine in the land besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you, and I'll bless you. God gives him all these promises. Verse 7. Or verse 6, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. Verse 7, when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Because he was afraid to say she was my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. Isaac ain't even alive to hear the lie come off of his daddy's lips but the moment he's placed in the exact same predicament as his father, the same lie that comes out of Abraham's mouth is the same lie that comes out of his son Isaac's mouth. Because whatever, whoo, whatever walks in the father will run in the family. Whatever walks in the father will run in the family. Now, come on, get this. Isaac now has two sons. Jacob and Esau. And Jacob wants Esau's blessing. So while Esau is out in the field hunting one day, Rebekah puts skins of an animal on Jacob, and Jacob deceives his father, lies his way into a blessing, and tricks his daddy into blessing him and now we've got Abraham lying, Isaac lying, and generation number three is named deceiver. They named Jacob heel grabber, supplanter, deceiver, liar, trickster. That's what they named him at birth. They didn't name him that at birth. Abraham named him that when he lied in Gerar to Abimelech. And there are some of us today, you're trapped in family dysfunction. You are trapped in a cycle of dysfunction. You are trapped in a generational curse that has been on your family for multiple generations. Now get this, Abraham's a liar, Isaac's a liar, Jacob is named deceiver. And now Jacob is going to have 12 sons 
and 10 of those boys are going to lie to his face about their brother, Joseph. So get this, Joseph's brothers are all liars. Joseph's daddy was named a liar at birth. Joseph's grandfather was a liar, and Joseph's great-grandfather was a liar. Joseph is surrounded by liars, but decides, as for me and my house, I'm going to tell the truth. Now I understand why he would not compromise on his integrity when Potiphar's wife wanted to have sex with him. Because for Joseph, it wasn't just about that moment. Joseph understood that I've got to break out of the cycle of a lying and deception and the lack of integrity that has cursed my family for four generations. I've got to be the one who breaks this curse off my family. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but at some point you are going to have to realize that the pressure to break out of your family's dysfunctional cycle is your responsibility. So you've got to take character and integrity and go into college and wealth building seriously because your parents were broke, your grandparents were broke, your great-grandparents was broke, all your siblings are broke, so you have to be disciplined with your money. Your parents were uneducated, your grandparents were uneducated, your great-grandparents are uneducated, and now the enemy's tempting you to drop out of college. And at some point, you've got to realize it's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. Once I realized that there was a generational curse on my family as it relates to addiction, oh, I realized I was playing for higher stakes. All of my uncles are alcoholics. All of my aunts are prostitutes. My dad was in prison for 18 years. My dad was a, was a, was a drug addict. My uncles on my dad's side are all drug dealers. And addiction is all around me. Every Arango I know is an addict. So when somebody offered me weed for the first time when I was 14 years old, I ran like Joseph ran out of that house, naked and unashamed. I will, I will run away from this because I cannot even afford to tempt myself with proximity to the thing that has taken my father out and my grandfather and my great-grandfather. Oh, the devil is a liar. I will be different. Joseph's integrity is a total anomaly when you look at the family that he's from. No wonder he ran up out of there. No wonder he took this so seriously. No wonder he was desperate to get away from Potiphar's wife. No wonder the Bible says not only did he not go to sleep with her, not only did he not have sex with her, he refused to be around her. Because a lot of us have decided to fight temptations that we should be avoiding. Oh, that's good, Pastor Manny. Oh, that's good. I need to say that one more time. Some of us have decided to fight temptations that we should be avoiding. 
There are some of us, you're in the ring right now with temptations you shouldn't even be in the ring with. Why are you even fighting it? Get away. Run. Uh, I, I love this. Uh, the Bible says Samson is the strongest man in the Bible. His downfall is Delilah. David, uh, the most, the, the, the picture uh, of the epitome of worship in the Bible, downfall, Bathsheba. Solomon, wisest man in the Bible, downfall, a thousand, a thousand women. <laughs> Yo, Solomon, so, don't nobody ever talk about Solomon. I mean, that's next level. That's next level, okay? You, that is, anyway, the Bible is, if you think the Bible is boring, you, you need an armor subscription. If you think the Bible is boring, you need to subscribe to Arma, okay? I will help you to see that the Bible is, is salacious, okay? The Bible is scandalous. The Bible, the there's a man in the Bible who has had sex with thousands of women and writes a book called Song of Songs. It's pretty, that, that alone is a scandal, okay? Anyway, we're we not even going to go down that rabbit trail. You need to subscribe to Arma, A-R-M-A. -A. You need to subscribe. You need a subscription. If you pay for Netflix, you should be paying for Arma. It's not even a debate. You need to subscribe. You can do that by texting the word A-R-M-A -A to 97000 right now. Click the link. Get subscribed. Don't even, don't even ask me no questions. Just do it. For a lot of us, we are in the ring with stuff that we should be avoiding. Now get this, Samson, strongest man in the Bible. Strength is not able to keep him from Delilah. David, the epitome of worship, worship is not able to keep David from, uh, from, from sexual temptation. You can worship God all you want and still be a little lust bucket, okay? Please, please, don't even get me started. Don't even get me started uh, because... For a lot of us, uh, you, are, you are addicted to intimacy. Whether that's intimacy with God or intimacy through sexuality, there's actually a strong link between worship and sexuality, but we don't even got time to get into it. This is why the Corinthian church, they spoke in tongues a lot, they worshiped a lot, but they were also sexually immoral. Okay, so if you're on a worship team, you're part of a worship band, sometimes it's the worship team and the worship band and the people that are hollering and screaming and running around with their hands up that are actually the, the most attacked with sexual perversion and sexual immorality. There's a deep link between the two. We don't even have time to dive into it. Man, I've, I feel like I got too many rabbit trails tonight. Here we go. Here we go. Solomon is wise. Wisdom is not able to keep him from sexual temptation. Samson fell, David fell, Solomon fell. Samson fell, David fell, Solomon fell. Strength, worship, and wisdom not able to keep these three men from sexual immorality. Do you want to know what was able to keep Joseph from sexual immorality? Some Nikes. That's what helped him. Nikes. That's right. Sneakers. His feet running away. The Bible says flee sexual immorality. The Bible says to run away. You may think that because you worship, you can surround yourself with temptation and your worship is going to help you with sexual temptation. It will not. You may think to yourself, I'm wise. And if I'm wise, it's going to protect me from sexual temptation. It will not. Some of us are like, it's strong. But can I tell you that all of those things will make you arrogant. 
all strength, wisdom, and worship will have you thinking you're stronger than you are. Joseph withstood temptation because he was willing to run away. Running away means this. I don't trust myself. I don't trust my flesh to be around stuff that has been in my family for four generations. I ain't even playing with it. Here we go. So I want to give you four ways to break generational strongholds off of your life. Here we go. If you or your family has been in a generational cycle, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's sons, and now Joseph, they are in a family system, okay? Their system operates on deception and lying. That is the currency that they speak in, is lies. They, they lack integrity, and Joseph doesn't fit in because Joseph, uh, if Joseph had fit in, he would have never told his brothers about his dream. He was just being honest, just being honest. But when you're honest in a family system that does not uh, thrive on honesty, that system will attack you even if you are exuding something or uh, exhibiting something that's positive in nature. Okay, so I want to give you four ways to break a generational cycle if you're going to be like Joseph. Four ways. Come on. Number one, you need to unlearn. If your family of origin taught you lessons that are antithetical to biblical theology, you need to start the process of unlearning. If you can learn something, you can unlearn it. And the number one way to unlearn anything is to sit down with your Bible and allow the Bible to not just teach you what to think, but to teach you how to think. I had to unlearn what my parents taught me, and I had to learn kingdom. I had to adopt a biblically literate kingdom mindset because I was born in straight dysfunction. And my parents taught me stuff. Not, and I don't just mean the verbal lessons that parents teach. I mean the stuff that you caught by being around them. Number one, you need to unlearn. Number two, you need to heal from trauma. You need to ask yourself, am I stuck in a generational cycle because of thought patterns or because of emotional reactions? Okay, maybe it's both, but you've got to decipher which one it is. Trauma will keep you in bondage even when your thinking has changed, okay? Trauma, because the body keeps measure of the trauma that we live through. And it may be a therapist, it may be a pastor. I don't know your specific need, but can I tell you that you need to prioritize healing from trauma. You need to ask yourself the question, are my relationships actually... Uh, a product of me trauma bonding with people. How many of my actions day to day are intentional decisions and how much of it is just trauma responses? What triggers me and why does it trigger me? And if there's a trigger, then I believe I'm full of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is gonna help me to identify not just what the trigger is, but why the trigger is there. Because every trigger is attached to trauma. 
and you are going to need to heal from trauma if you're going to stop acting like your father or your mother or your grandfather or your grandmother or your great-grandfather or your great-grandmother or your aunt or your uncles or your siblings. Number three, you need to limit exposure. If there are people in your biological family of origin that have taught you lessons that are toxic and have traumatized you, then third, you need to create distance between yourself and them. And that distance is going to be in the form of boundaries. Boundaries. Okay? Which means, okay, whoo! When a toxic person is met with a boundary, they call it rejection. Okay? So if you have family that's toxic and you put a boundary in place, do not expect them to be happy. Do not expect them to, to be, uh, to, to rejoice with you that you are choosing to be free and to be different. They are going to be angry that you have placed a boundary there. You cannot allow them to guilt trip you into coming back into their system or back into what they deem as normal. You have to get away. And that getting away may mean physical distance. It may mean emotional distance. Um, you have wisdom to decide for yourself what kind of distance you need to place between yourself and people who are refusing to heal and refusing to change their mind. So if someone has taught you something that is toxic or traumatized you and that family system does not want to acknowledge their wrong, change their behavior, and respect your boundaries, then your boundaries actually need to get stronger and you need to create even more distance between yourself and the source of the sickness. Let's just think about it like COVID. Think about it like any other disease, okay? We are going to socially distance from people who are sick because guess what's contagious? Toxicity is contagious. Dysfunction is contagious. And the more you expose yourself to people who are toxic, the more uh, susceptible you are to acting in that toxicity and thinking that that toxicity is normal and making excuses for that toxicity. And number four, you are going to find spiritual family. You need to find spiritual family. We need you to embrace the fact that church is not just a place where we teach concepts, but a family that you join into. A community of people that now become your new spiritual aunts, your new spiritual uncles. You get spiritual parents in church and spiritual siblings. Pastor Andy is a spiritual dad to me. The reason he's a spiritual dad to me is because he helped me to unlearn what my biological father taught me, and he began to teach me new stuff. When I first sat down with Pastor Andy, I remember we were at South Point Mall, and he said, you're like someone who's got all the right parts, but somewhere in the factory, they assembled you incorrectly. You got all the right parts, but they assembled you wrong. And he said, son, what we're going to do over the course of the next couple years is we're going to take you apart and reassemble you the right way. I had to allow a spiritual father to do that for me. 
And the own, the ingredient that allowed me to, to submit to that process is called humility. Humility. When he said, they put you together wrong, my pride could have kicked up. My pride could have flared up. I said, how dare you tell me that my crackhead father didn't raise me right? Well, Pastor Andy was right. My crackhead father did not raise me right. What, why would I debate that? That's stupid. If you come from toxic people, the faster you acknowledge that crazy people raised you and that they were wrong, the faster you can move on with choosing to be different. But you can't be loyal to crazy people and continue to be around them and just use church as a band-aid instead of using church as surgery. And spiritual aunts and uncles and siblings and spiritual parents are the thing you should be searching for in church. That's why church is not just what happens on a Sunday or an online service like this on a Wednesday. You need to get into the building. You need to meet people. You need to be in the lobby. You need to be hungry for someone to disciple you. Because until people disciple you, they cannot help you to unlearn what your crazy parents taught you. Or your crazy uncles. Or your crazy grandparents. And sorry, I'm not loyal to people who traumatize me. I'm not. <laughs> Actually, I'm loyal to the spiritual parents in my life who have actually helped to heal me and teach me how to be married in the right way, teach me how to be functional, teach me how to build wealth, teach me how to be a good dad. I want to be loyal to the people who have actually taught me how to flourish, not the people who are responsible for, for all of my trauma. Our loyalties actually need to change, and our definition of church has to include a covenant family that God wants you to be in covenant relationship with. All right, let me pray for you. God, I thank you for everyone who's watching this right now, whether it's live or whether they're watching uh, a replay or rebroadcast weeks or months after the original airing um, of, this, of this service. God, I ask that you would help them to break generational cycles. Come on, if you're in the chat right now and you need generational strongholds to be broken off your life and you represent the change agent in your family, come on, just say in the chat, just say in the chat, this is for me. This prayer is for me. Can you just say those words? This prayer is for me. God, I thank you right now that this prayer is going to the four corners of the earth. Wherever they're watching from, God, I ask that you would begin to rewire their thinking God, I thank you right now for Joseph's and their family. God, I thank you that there are people watching this who are going to be like Joseph. And I ask, God, that you would give them tough skin to be ready for the hate that's coming from their brothers because they think they're better than me. God, we know that jealous people are hurtful people. So, God, we're not going to let their jealousy keep us little. God, we are going to be okay with their jealousy because we want to be everything that you want us to be. God, I ask that you would bless every person watching this, wherever they are. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, if you're a part of World Overcomers, we'll see you here in person on Sunday. If you're not a part of World Overcomers, you can stream on Sunday. 
and uh, make sure that you follow everything that World Overcomers is doing. I'll see you for week three of this sermon series on resilience. Loved you so much. Peace. Hopefully you were blessed and encouraged by this message. Visit www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast for more information on WOCC and events that are coming up. Maybe we are coming to your area soon. God bless.